This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We're we're going to take a look at an interesting passage of Scripture. And we won't read the entire chapter, uh, but we will take certain selections from this chapter that I think are extremely important for us this evening. First and foremost, let me say this. I I think if, if there's an overall goal here tonight, if there's anything I think that I would like for you all to take away from this, is that you would perhaps see this text and would, it would either confirm or perhaps reshape your perspective on how you are viewed by the Lord. Um, and maybe perhaps for some of you, perhaps even a new desire uh, would be developed for the church and the, the body of Christ as well as the work of the Lord. We're going to take a look at the entire chapter, but let's cast our eyes down to verse 23. Chapter 17, verse 23, and we'll read this. I think this summarizes this passage quite well. This is our Lord Jesus praying. He says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, this word that you bless us with. Oh Lord, we are looking to hear your words this evening and looking for your voice. Speak to our hearts and our minds. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be even tender to hear words of correction, maybe words of challenge or words of even confirmation and perhaps for some of us even words of the gospel that One might say, what must I do to be saved? Father, we we look forward to hearing you this evening. Hide me, Father, behind your cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love the Gospel of John, uh, just to start out. I I really like the Gospel of John for a variety of reasons, but specifically this chapter, uh, because it is a prayer um, uh, that, that is an intimate prayer with Christ and his disciples. But John himself, as he is writing the gospel, if there's one thing we can truly say about this, is that the book of John, the gospel of John, is an evangelistic book. Uh, it, is, it is, I mean, John brings forth uh, the signs and the miracles of Jesus to show two things, primarily his deity, but also his purpose. Um, I I would like to believe that in some cases, the Gospel of John could have been started out actually as a a primary primary verse to start with could be actually John chapter 20, verse 31, which summarizes John's whole purpose for writing. He says, these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Now, that would be a wonderful way to start the Gospel of John, but I'm not John. He started the way he wanted it to. But it would have been good to start it out like that because it really capsulizes the, the, whole, the whole book. Um, but it's, it's interesting that 
it's, it's not until John begins to record the end of Jesus' ministry uh, in this gospel that we start to hear a little more about Jesus' concern for his disciples. We go through almost 13 chapters in his gospel, and it isn't until about the end of chapter 12 that we start to hear some concern. We start to hear some, some acknowledgement to his disciples that my work, says Christ, is, is about to be done. It's about to be over, and I need to prepare you for this because it might come to a shock to you. I'm sure it will. And so here we are in chapter 17 where Jesus begins to pray to his father. And what I love about this is that we're invited in on this. You know, we're invited in this, this private, intimate moment with the disciples and their Lord. And they're there, and Jesus begins to pray and they can hear what Christ is saying to his father about them. And that's the beauty of chapter 17. Uh, the, he records the first portion of this prayer as, as a personal one uh, between G himself and his father. Uh, then he begins to intercede on behalf of the disciples, and then we see him intercede on behalf of the world as well. Now, sometimes what you might find is that chapter 17 is actually called uh, the high priestly prayer. Uh, because the Lord Jesus held that office, and they call it the high priestly prayer. And some might actually say it's the benediction of his work. Uh, it's the very, very end, the final prayer that he is given, giving with his disciples before he is to go to the cross. So it's a private time spent between G uh, the disciples and Jesus. And he starts out in chapter 17, he says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. So for context, for context, these words, what are these words? Well, these words are basically everything from chapter 13, or the end of 12 really, but 13 all the way through 16. And so if, if you just, you don't have to turn there, but just to give you some, some, a picture here of what's happening, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem, uh, he's prepared for the Passover, and he starts to explain some things that sound odd to the ears of the disciples. He's explaining that he has to go to the cross. And in this period of time, he starts speaking of betrayal. He starts speaking of Peter and his denial. He starts talking about this thing about many mansions and some comforter that will come. This is unusual to the ears of someone who's walked with their Lord for almost three years. And the disciples did not fully understand all that was to take place, not until later, of course, but at this moment in time, they didn't fully understand it. And Jesus called them out on that and said, I know that you're full of sorrow because I'm about to leave and I'm saying things to you that are hard to understand. So they saw that Judas had left for whatever reason or another. We know that uh, it was to orchestrate the betrayal. Jesus speaks again of the comforter and that he would abide with his disciples forever. The disciples were warned that the world would actually hate them because they followed Christ. The world would actually celebrate at his going. But Jesus says that this is to be expected and then he concludes with chapter 17 the high priestly prayer. So it, it, it is important to us, family, to not simply gloss over chapter 17. You know, I, I know sometimes when I have read scripture a long time ago when I would just flip through scripture, I would actually get to chapter 17 in particular and just 
Let me get, let me get over to the betrayal, because I know that's going to happen. That's chapter 18. I, I know the story. It's in my head. But if you, if you take the time to just slow down for a moment and consider what you hear in the words of our Lord, consider the plea to the Father that Christ gives on our behalf. Many sermons can be written about chapter 17, and I only have time for one. So what we're going to do is we're just going to pull a few portions of it just for our hearing that I think would be beneficial to you uh, as we enter into 2023. So let's first look at John 17. We're going to read John 17 verses 1 through 5. And we're going to see how he starts out this, this prayer. He says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him and this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent I have glorified thee on the earth I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So interesting that as he begins this prayer, he starts out talking to his father and he says, the hour is come. And if you are a scholar of the word, you know that this is an interesting thing to say because when you consider previously in the Gospel of John, he said repeatedly to his disciples that the hour has not come. Uh, we see in John 8.20 that he was in the treasury and no man laid hands on him because why? His, his, his hour had not come. We see later on in John chapter 7 verse 30 that they sought to take him but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not come. And it isn't until chapter 12 uh, that we see now he's starting to say things like my hour has come, that now it's time for me to be glorified. And so this marks a transition in from one part of his ministry into another part of his ministry. But what I love most about the first five verses is the single-mindedness that Christ has about his father's work. I mean, you can really see that in the passage. Uh, it, it was a great example for his disciples and a great example for us today. Um, Christ was so singly-minded on doing the work of his father and honoring his father that nothing would stop him from that, even death on the cross. For us, you know, I, I, I think about, uh, you know, as, as I have gotten older, uh, I have come to realize that the, more, the older I get, the more I just want to focus on the word of God. I don't know, maybe some of you feel have felt the same way or have experienced the same thing, but it's like the older you get, the more the world starts to pale in, com in comparison to the work that the Father has for you to do. And so I found myself growing and growing and growing on, on the single-minded focus of what God has for us as believers to do while we are here uh, and he has not called us home as of yet and what we're supposed to do. And, and Christ he clearly states in this text what his work is. He says, the father had basically given him work, power, excuse me, over all mankind to give eternal life to as many as God had called, eternal life. And then what he does in this text, as you have seen, he defines eternal life in verse three. What does he say? He says, and this is life eternal, 
that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. In essence, the gospel, isn't it? Isn't that the gospel? Right? So that everyone would know who he is and know that he was sent from the Father. Now, that's simple in just a few words, but just think about that with me, about the magnitude of eternal life and what it took to secure that eternal life. What it actually took for us to sit here as believers, safe under his wing and saved. It's, it's easy to read just these two verses, but the, the magnitude of salvation is enormous. There aren't, honestly, saints, words in the dictionary to describe just how magnanimous <laughs> it is. It truly is a wonderful work. I mean, in order for this to take place, first, we had to have the eternal word being made flesh. Can anyone explain how that works? I'm just baffled. He had to be fully divine and fully human in order for us to secure salvation. He had to be our kin. He had to be our brother. He had to be born. And he had to have the desire and the means to secure our salvation. Uh, there, there's a term in scripture called the kinsman redeemer, and that's where that comes from. He also had to be a mediator between us and the Lord to secure our salvation. He had to come as a prophet to tell us the Father's will, a priest to intercede and provide a sacrifice and a, be a king to rule over all. All of that is needed in just the simple word, salvation. He had to provide a sacrifice that would satisfy the wrath of the Father. So in summary, he had to be conceived, born, proclaimed, uh, proclaim his Father. He had to suffer. He had to be crucified. He had to die. He had to be buried. He had to be raised from the dead. He had to ascend to his rightful place. All of this to eliminate the enmity between us and God. That is salvation. And who did he do that for? Did he do that for the wealthy, the rich, the self-righteous? Did he do that for the kings in high places? Who did he do that for? Did he do it for the strong? He did that for the sinner. Individuals who did not deserve any of that. That's who he did that for. And Romans teaches us that. Romans teaches us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And while we are yet sinners, Christ still died for us. Romans says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the mouth, heart, man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Our justification, says Paul in Romans, comes through faith in this finished work, and we now have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we read eternal life, that this is what he came for, this is the backdrop of the high priestly prayer. 
The word salvation and the word eternal life is all of what we just discussed wrapped into that. And so now we ask ourselves the question, how do we respond to that? What is the response as a recipient of such unconstrained, unconditional grace and mercy? What is our, our response to such love that came to us that we did not even deserve? The response should be complete adoration and praise. The response should be unfettered worship. Why? Because we are recipients of undeserved mercy. The response should be not uh, just rejoicing in a, in a righteousness that's not even our own, but a righteousness that was placed on us. The finished work of Christ would loose the bonds of slavery and sin, and it would yoke us to Christ simply because God ordained it and it pleased him. That's why we sit here today. That's why we're here as, 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 as saints who can say with certainty, yes, I know that Christ is my Savior. This is the reason why we are here. And so as we read this prayer, as we read now John 17, and we take a look at now verse 6, with that backdrop in mind, it begins to make a little more sense in terms of the work of Christ. Because now Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, he's speaking to the Father, but now he begins to turn now to the ones he loves his disciples. And we should keep this in mind, that this indeed was an intimate moment with his disciples. This wasn't with the crowds. This wasn't with the larger disciples. This was with the 12, soon to be 11. At this stage, actually, it was the 11. And this was a moment that we are invited into to kind of hear and take part in. It was a personal, it was a heartfelt prayer. And we should never lose sight of the fact that Christ, in his prayers, is perfect. Think about that for a moment. Here it is, we have Christ giving the high priestly prayer for his disciples, and his prayers are perfect. Have you ever prayed a prayer that you knew that was not quite the way it should have been? You know, we're not perfect, so we can't pray perfect prayers. And so, thank the Lord, we have Christ seated at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf, because sometimes we say things and pray things that we have no business pray, even praying about. Amen? But... All of that to say that whatever comes out of the mouth of Christ is perfect. So that means what we can do is we can take this prayer and we can say this is exactly what the Lord wants for his disciples and by extension, us. The disciples had received that word. We see that in John chapter 17, verse 6 through 8. I'll, I'll read that if you would take a look at that. John 17, verse 6. He says, I have manifested thy name unto the men. This is the disciples which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things, all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou, hast, thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I come out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. That's John 17, verses 6 through 8. That word is interesting. The disciples were given the word, uh, says the text, uh, specifically from the Father. And, and, and also that word 
indicates that Jesus came from the Father and that the Father had sent him. You know, the thought that I had in my mind was, honestly, as saints, with the backdrop of salvation, there's really no greater honor than to to be a believer and then take the word of Christ to someone who needs it. What, what greater honor is there for us as those who are recipients of unmerited favor and grace? This message of the gospel can only be delivered by us. It can't be delivered by an unbeliever, right? I've never heard an unbeliever share the gospel with someone. The Lord did not declare that the angels would deliver the gospel. He declared that you would give the gospel. That's the one task we have. What an honor and privilege that is. John 13, 20 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. And so when we're in the process of giving the gospel and someone hears it, we know that it's not just us. It's not us that they're hearing, but it's the word of God. What an awesome opportunity that is. We are all missionaries. We are all missionaries whose task it is to communicate God's truth to others. So my question for you is, is, do you consider it an honor to carry that message for your king? I think that's a very valid question to ask. Maybe perhaps you thought it was more of an obligatory thing. Move from that to honor. It is an honor to do that for our king, for all of the work that he has done for us. The disciples, another point to note out of this is that the disciples were chosen. I love that. They were chosen. They were chosen out of the world, and they were given to Jesus. He says in John 15, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit won't just die but your fruit will remain, your fruit will abide, and that whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The disciples' saints were very special to Christ in this moment. They they were precious to him because they were chosen by the Lord, given to Christ, Christ cared for them. And so in this, because they were chosen, there's this special affinity that he has for the believer, for you, for all of you. My question again is, 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 do you understand that you are loved by the Lord in this way? Uh, and maybe you didn't, don't feel like that. Perhaps in 2023, moving forward, you'll begin to think of your relationship with the Lord in that way. Our value is not determined by our, our finances, our job, or our civic work, or anything that we do. Our value is given to us and granted to us by our King and our Lord. He loves us, and he chose us out of a very dark place to be with him. And that leads us to John chapter 17, verse 9 through 19, the the second portion of this. And this is where it really gets interesting because our Lord in this private prayer begins to look at some very specific things that he wanted his disciples to have and to do. And by extension, I would also say the church. He's praised for three specific things. These three things are what binds a church together. It binds Good News Baptists together. It binds the the universal church overall, those who are blood-bought and believers. It binds us together. The first thing that he brings up here, we see this in John chapter 17, verse 11. He says, I now, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, 
Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. You could say unity. Unity. Unity in the body of Christ is so essential. It's essential for the work that we do as believers, but it's also essential for the world to identify who we are. And so I don't know if you all have ever been in an environment where you have said disuni- seen disunity in a church. It is not pleasant. It is not good. And bless the Lord, we don't see prayerfully, we, won't, we don't see that often. But unity is what we should strive for, saints. And that's unity surrounded and based on the word of God and who Christ said that he would be. Uh, Christ, uh, he said in Philippians 2 says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Unity. Unity in this case means fidelity to, or you could say participation in the divine word uh, that has become flesh. Uh, And actually, if you look at Ephesians 4, it actually expounds on that definition of unity a little bit. Uh, You could say unity is being chained together in peace, or unity is growing together uh, in peace. Uh, As a body of believers, we should be growing with each other. As we come together and we fellowship, we celebrate the Lord's table, we learn from each other, we grow from each other, we're praying for one another. These are all things that define the body of Christ and define the church. So unity, he prays for that specifically. But he also prays for something else. In the midst of all of this sorrow and trouble and concern and consternation that the disciples have, Jesus begins to pray for joy. I find that very, very interesting under the circumstances, but he does. He says, joy fulfilled in him. He says in John 17, 13, and now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my, what's that word? Joy fulfilled in themselves. John 15, 11 says, these things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full now i would imagine that that would be very difficult under the circumstances but following the ascension of christ the disciples would remember these very words that they would have their joy completed in christ knowing that christ completed the task he came to do and now they have a mission and they can take joy in doing the work of the lord the trials that they would face It would be difficult, and Jesus told them that in chapter 16. But all of that would be covered in joy. All of us here have situations that maybe some of us can't even possibly imagine. We have work to do for Christ that some of us may be a part of, some of us may not, and sometimes that work is difficult. But let me encourage you for 2023, take joy in the work that you do for the Lord. As hard as that, and as, as, as weird as that may sound, when you're going through trouble, because you're standing for Christ, or maybe you're going through trouble because you're having to really pray through a difficult time, or you're, 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 you're struggling because perhaps you're trying to lead maybe where you are, lead in a, in, a, in a way where others will follow you, and they're not following you the way that you would like to see them, and you're trying to, to ex- exude who Christ is, and, they, and it's difficult. Have joy in that. Know that the joy of your Lord is being fulfilled in the very work that you are doing. All the disciples 
were filled with joy in the Holy Ghost. We see that in Acts. We see that a lot. Uh, That's uh, an interesting passage I like to look at, Acts 13, where we see that after persecution, we see Paul and Barnabas, right? They They were preaching the word in Antioch. The Jews were excited. I'm sorry, the Gentiles were excited. The Jews didn't like it. And what ended up happening? They they ended up being persecuted for that. The Gentiles were saved. The Jews rose up against them. But Paul and Barnabas says the texts were filled with joy. That's hard. And it's hard for us sometimes, depending on what we're going through. But have joy in the work. Know that your father is pleased. So that's the second thing that our Lord specifically prays for, for the church, that we would have joy in the work we do. The last thing that he prays for is sanctification. Sanctified. He says in chapter 17, 17, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The very thing that sets us apart from the world is the very thing that Christ came to do. Look at it this way. The mere fact that you believe Christ is who he he, says he is separates you from the world. The mere fact that you choose, because of the word of God, to live your life a certain way, a live a life above reproach, and a a live a life of holiness, sets you apart from the world. You can't help but be set apart from the rest of the world if you're following the word of God. It's just a natural process. It's a na- sanctification in this way is just a natural thing. It's going to happen and will be set apart. And the Lord is pleased when we do that. Um, and so remember that that sanctification process, being separate from the world, is something that we should look for. Um, our beliefs and our actions, our, our daily walk and the way that we live, they're all driven by our beliefs and what we think about the word of God. And that makes us distinct. I've always been intrigued by sanctification, by truth, is what this says here. Thy word is truth. And I've always been intrigued by Pilate when he was talking with Christ. And Christ basically comes, he's basically there, and basically Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus answers and says, you say I'm a king. And then he, then he defines everything. He says, to this end I'm born. In other words, let me, let me make it clear who I am. For this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. And everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. And what did Pilate say after that? What is truth? He just did not get it. He did not understand it. But thanks be to God, we have a Savior who wants us to understand truth and has opened our eyes to understand the truth of what he came to do. And that separates us from the world and makes us different. Do you, da- do you daily view yourself as being consecrated in that way? Like when you get up in the morning, you get ready to go to work, get ready to take the kids out, get ready to homeschool, whatever you do, do you, do you is that something that crosses your mind in the morning when you get up? Today, I am sanctified and set apart from the world and to the best of my ability and with the power of the Holy Ghost, I'm gonna live a way that honors Christ. And, and perhaps you do, that's great. My, my encouragement would be continue to do that because it says here in scripture that that's what we should strive for. The work that we do for our Lord is very special and very unique and very distinct from the rest of the world. Now, I want to make note of something here regarding these three things, and maybe you've already picked up on it. But Christ is praying for 
sanctification. He's praying for joy, and he's praying for unity. But there's something interesting in this passage that occurred to me as I was studying it, and that's this. Everything that we do reflects the relationship between the Father and the Son. Let me repeat that. Everything that we do as believers, day to day, everything that we do reflects the relationship between the Father and his Son. Look at it this way. When Christ said, I am praying for unity, what did he say? He said, I'm praying for unity that they may be one as we are. As we are. What a great example to the world of the relationship between the Father and the Son when you have a body of believers that are unified in him. Uh, when, we, when we take a look, when we take a look at, for example, at joy, the joy that we have in doing the work of the Lord, well, it's, it's, it's no different there either. Jesus tells us, he basically tells us that the joy that we have is fulfilled in him, John 17, 13. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak to the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What did Christ enjoy doing the most is fulfilling his Father's will and doing his Father's work. Sanctification is no different. We see that in John 17, 19. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So when we're distinct and separate from the world, we're doing it because Christ was distinct and separate from the world. And it reflects the relationship that he has with his Father. It's being set apart, consecrated for the work of salvation, just as we are set apart, consecrated for the work of sharing the gospel. Ultimately, when we are doing these things, saints, we glorify the Lord. We glorify the Lord. We operate in a place where the Lord is pleased with what are doing. In fact, some would say our chief aim in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Take a look at John 17.10. What does John 17.10 says? It, say, it says, and all mine are thine and thine are mine. And what's the last portion of that verse? And I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. The disciples, the church. I'm glorified by my church. I'm glorified by good news. When we are walking the way that we should and honoring the Father, Christ gets the glory. Imagine that, a sinner saved by grace, glorifying the high king of heaven purely because of his good pleasure and what he chooses to do and that he saved us. And now we have this opportunity to live for him in such a way where he is actually smiling and pleased. Praise be the name of the Lord. All mine are thine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them. Glorify, to glorify means to, to give great and glorious greatness is a definition that I looked up. I know it's repeating itself, but to give glorious greatness, to lift up high. When we are acting as we should and operating as we should, we are lifting up high the name of Christ for the world to see. And yes, we have targets now on our back because we do so. The enemy does not like that. But that doesn't matter because even though the enemy may not like that, guess what we also have? We have joy. We have joy. 
and we have security in our salvation. So good news, I pray. I pray that we would embrace the love that Christ has for his disciples and by extension us. Um, I, I pray that he reveals his word to you and freely offers his salvation. I, I, I'm so grateful that he chose us out of darkness and he keeps us from harm. That he intercedes for his church in a very, very specific and perfect way. And that when we are acting and operating in unity and joy and, and, and continued sanctification in his service, that he smiles and it gives him glory. And in our flawed state, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do this work and glorify his name. We truly do have an amazing God. So I pray that you are encouraged just by the quick overview of chapter 17. And I encourage you to read 17 yourself. But don't just fly through it. Really sit and think about what was happening in that room when he was talking to his disciples. Think about the love that he had for them and how concerned that he was that he would have to leave them. And so he asked the Father to give him these three things, joy and unity and sanctification. And I pray that as you apply that to yourself and the Lord speaks to you through his word, that in 2023 you might be renewed in that that you might feel encouraged in that, and you might be able to go forth and do the work of the Lord. And so for those of us who are believers, you know, we, this, is, this can be a very challenging thing, but it can also be a very rewarding and comforting thing, too, to know that our Lord loves us like this. But perhaps there are some of us that are not really sure. Maybe we're not really sure about this salvation thing. Maybe we're not confident that we actually are saved, and we can't really take part in this high priestly prayer. Well, there's good news for you too, because the prayer is not done. Actually, if you go to chapter 17, verse 20, he's speaking to you as well. Here's what he says. Chapter 17, verse 20 says, Neither pray I for these alone, talking about his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Believers, we have a task to do, right? To share the gospel. That means automatically there's going to be some people out there who need to hear the word from you. But for those of you all who aren't really sure and are the recipients of that, he's praying that you actually receive and hear that word. My question is, is do you fit in that category? Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're sitting here. Maybe you're not really sure. Do you fit in the category of a person who needs to hear that word? Or maybe you've heard the word. Maybe someone you're sitting next to have, has given you that word, but you're still struggling with receiving and hearing the word. I want to pray for you tonight that you would receive and hear and understand what the Lord is saying to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, and we thank you for just encouraging us in your word. But we pray, Lord, that tonight and the preaching of the gospel is, it falls on fertile ground. There are many believers in this room who have been sharing the gospel with their co-workers, their neighbors, sometimes even their family members. And maybe they're even here tonight listening to this preached message. Father, I pray that they would hear what you are saying to them. Give them ears to hear what you are saying. That salvation is a free gift and it is not accomplished by any work or any hand, but it is something that you are offering and extending freely. Simple confession 
of sin to you, honestly, will open the door for salvation. As the scripture tells us, if confession is made by the mouth and the heart believes unto righteousness, you shall be saved. And Father, we are trusting even this very day, this very hour, because tomorrow is not promised. We are praying and we are trusting that you would come and save some today. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and what you will do in this body in 2023. We love you, Lord, and we want to honor you and give you glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.